I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Stevenson. Now, do you know the difference between a small and large red worm, a round worm, a tape worm, an insisted small red worm, and when are we supposed to be testing for these worms? Well, today's guest is Claire Shan. She owns Westgate Labs. And Claire's going to explain not only the difference between those, but also when should we be testing, when should we be worming, and how to do a targeted worm program, which is when you test for worm egg counts. Claire's going to explain all about it and more on the Horse Hour podcast. Now, I've had blackjack for ooh, four four years now. And um, and when it came to worming him, in the very beginning, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I phoned my local vet and, um, and said, what, what do I do? And, and they put me on a programme. But since having blackjack, I've learned that there's lots of other ways that you can actually deal with worms. Um, it's a horrible subject. It freaks me out when I think about it uh, because it's a subject that we don't really know enough about. We know that there's rules and regulations, things that we have to do to protect our horse. But we don't really understand. Well, I don't understand much about why I'm doing it. So I'd like to welcome Claire Shand. She's a director at Westgate Labs. How are you, Claire? Hi, Amy. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for having the show. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I hope that um, that kind of explains my situation. When it comes to worming, it's a it's a bit of a freaky, creepy subject, and uh, and I'm hoping that you can kind of dispel some myths today. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, it is a subject that does seem to get a lot of horse owners sort of confused and not really knowing the way forward. There's been a lot of differing advice, I think, over the years. So historically, we wormed a lot and were sort of encouraged I think to use wormers probably way too frequently than needed and since then there's been a lot of change and we know about resistance and people know about different drugs and whether you should use them cyclically or not at all or less or whatever so there's a lot of confusion out there and so what we're really trying to do is to help people navigate what can be quite a confusing area of horse care for people yeah well that that sounds brilliant and very true it is really confusing so like yearly going going back through my time um i was told to put blackjack on a plan and i i basically got told you have to have this wormer this time of year and then you need this worm at that time of year 
year and, and I don't actually know what the wormers do or how they help. So can we start with first of all explaining the type of worms and, and how we can avoid that and then later because I know that you do worm counts which is a whole new subject for me so um, I'd love for you to explain that too. Yeah okay so there are probably three worms which are very um, sort of well, possibly dangerous to horses. So there's our large and small strong guile. They're the red worms. Mm. They're probably the biggest threat that we've got, the small ones in particular, um, to horses' health. Then there are roundworm and tapeworm. So those are three classes of worm that are really going to be most challenging um, for your horse and the ones we have to deal with regularly. So the red worm are the ones that probably 95% of a horse's worm burden are going to be made of small red worm, um, generally through the horse population. They are um, they multiply very quickly, so they can go um, like a complete a life cycle within about five weeks. So that's oh, really wow. quick, um, which is why you can quickly get um, a population getting out of hand within a horse um, if you don't you know keep a close eye on it. And um, they can do sort of nasty things and, um, you know, cause all sorts of upset and colics and um, diarrhea and sort of ill thrift. But really their most dangerous stages are the small, in- um, the insisted stages of small redworm. So as part of their life cycle, they will burrow into the horse's gut and um, usually just for sort of one or two weeks um, before they come out as adults and then ready to lay eggs. But unfortunately, during the winter time, particularly, they can do that for much longer and large numbers of them can actually be insisted in the horse's gut. And something, we don't really know what, can cause them all then to mass emerge in spring. And it's that mass emergence that actually can be really dangerous for the horses. So um, and that can cause life threatening colitis and um, all kinds of long lasting damage in horses. So that's something really to be aware of. Um, then we have the roundworm, um, they're ascarids, and they are large, sort of uh, white, creamy, like earthwormy type, that's what they look like, um, type worms, and they um, are much more prevalent in young horses than in adults. So the horses over four or five generally get an immunity to them, but in young horses, because they're so big, um, they can cause a lot of problems, particularly with blockages and things like that, because of the size of them in a small horse. And then the third one really is tapeworm. So um, that one is, um, again, a worm that doesn't feed off the horse itself. It actually will sit um, in the horse's intestine and eat the, sort of the food that comes in for the horse. Mm. Um, and again, they can, because they hang out in the ileocecal junction and um, between the intestines, um, then that's where they can also cause blockages in large numbers and you can be, um, get colic from those as well so um, they're the the three different sorts is it true i've heard over the years that um the the worms live in the horses anyway and that when we're worming them we're killing off those bacteria as i guess they're called bacteria are they i kind of not really um i guess what you're putting into the horse is is a drug it's a chemical so it's a poison that's going to target those worms and the parasites that are living there but it could also target the other bacteria, which are living organisms, which inhabit the horse's gut. And you could get a, a problem there just 
um, it's going to upset the balance of the bacteria as well as taking out the parasites that you're targeting. So it's not just it's not like um, all horses have some worms living in them anyway all the time and we just need to kind of control it it's that we can actually get rid of worms completely. The former definitely so if you've got a horse it's going to have worms it's just a something that's evolved over hundreds of thousands millions of years probably is this sort of um, symbiotic relationship between horses and worms so the worms um, and I guess generally historically they um, have adapted to live inside the horse very successfully but when we had horses that were wild they would get hitch a ride on a horse um, they complete their life cycle they produce the eggs inside the horse the eggs are spread in the horse's droppings, but then the horses move on as they sort of migrate to fresh pasture. And um, when the, the eggs of the worms hatch, they then go, um, kind of, they kind of wriggle away from the dropping pile where they were laid and they climb up blades of grass and they hang out on those blades of grass. And what they're waiting for is another horse to come along and munch that grass and get into the horse's system and start that life cycle over again. So because in a sort of wild situation, it's very unlikely that the horses are gonna come along very often, the worms are adapted to produce millions of eggs so that they can be sure that there'll be something along soon enough that's going to be the right species because not many worms survive in more than one host um, and that they can then get carried along and the problem that we really get when we keep horses intensively like we do these days and particularly in livery yard situations is that their horses are all kept in fields and so they graze the same area that mm. you know, over and over again and so it's much more likely that there's going to be more of these tiny little larvae. You know, when you think that one worm can kick out, you know, a million eggs in a day, um, that's, a, you know, they're microscopic, they're tiny, but some of those and more if they're kept intensively are going to get to that, wriggle up that blade of grass and be eaten back again by the species of animal, i.e. a horse, um, that's going to let them to proliferate and continue their life cycle. So, so that's why worms have really become a problem as we've sort of started to keep horses much more intensively and why um, the worming side of it and the parasite control is much more of an issue than it, it once was. So, yeah. so horses are always going to have a burden, but it is a case of just managing that and um rather than eradicating it completely. Well, it makes me... Oh, thank you for that. I mean, that was so detailed. And um, and it does still give me the creepy crawlies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, gosh, I don't even want to walk through the field now. And, and, I, and I, it brings me on to, like, dogs as well, because if dogs are then going through those fields as well as the horses, is there a chance that they can get the worms? Very unlikely. There's very few worms that actually go cross-species. Um, so there's a couple of different tapeworms, um, but they need very specific situations for it. Generally, the worms that horses get are just specific to them, which is why actually running sheep or cattle cross-grazing is really beneficial for your worm control, because when the worms, the little larvae get eaten, then they can't survive and in a different animal and then they die. So that's a really good way of breaking that life cycle mechanically. 
which as we look to use less wormers on our horses um, is something to bear in mind definitely. So a lot of us don't even have to worry about field management or field control or anything like that because we we're in a livery yard where they deal with all those issues so every now and again a couple of times a year whenever it is um, I'll have a phone call from our field owner and he'll say right it's time for me to spray the field so does that get rid of the worms? Probably not. No, it depends what they're spraying for, but most likely that's going to be a fertilizer or something similar, which will be about grass and turf management rather than about worm control. So is there um, anything that we could, while, while they're doing that, spray on at the same time that can kind of start us at zero again in terms of worms? Unfortunately not. Um, the eggs really, um, and the worms are, they're very much in the land. So they're there and there's very little you can do um, to actually impact what's there. So what you're looking um, in terms of pasture management is about controlling that. So looking to, like I say, break that life cycle mechanically wherever possible. So poo picking is probably the number one thing you can do to reduce your horse's worm burden without giving it drugs. Um, and um, second to that is cross grazing not overgrazing, so resting the fields because we know that over time the eggs degrade in the land um, and therefore when they don't find a new host again that stops them proliferating so um, keeping horses in stable herds is really a good thing to do so that again you're not bringing in new parasite challenges to them and managing horses so if you're getting a new horse in the yard quarantining it testing it first to know what you're looking at before you potentially introduce lots of new parasites onto the fields that sort of thing so it's just being very aware so quarantining your horse um i've been to some yards where you have to have them separate for two weeks they're not allowed anywhere near any other horses um and it really interestingly i've never i've never worm counted my horse and i've never been anywhere where they worm count um and I, i'm almost thinking gosh everybody should be doing it then because this is this is so serious but what i've had so far um is you go to a field they make you worm the horse uh, at least a week before you get there and then some places quarantine it for another two weeks. Other places, you haven't had to quarantine at all. They just say, as long as you've wormed your horse, you'll be fine. Yeah, and it's the confidence, I think. So if you can be absolutely sure that the horse is either, well, in an ideal world, you're looking for a worm count that says that the worm burden in that horse is um, very low. And so therefore, the parasite challenge that's being brought in is not going to upset um, the animals in your field so so that's what you're really looking for um, obviously if you can trust the person and they that they've been wormed then um, that's kind of that would be a second best um, situation because hopefully that worm has been effective and it's also dealt with anything that that horse might potentially carry in with it and some of the quarantine, uh, some of the way that they quarantine isn't even putting the horse in another field altogether. It's in the same field, but it's just sectioned off. So ultimately, that's really not going to make much difference, is it? Because it's still, it's still going to put manure in the same field when we open up that fencing. Uh, yeah, and I guess if you don't know what you're dealing with, then that is a potential risk for sure. So it's about, I mean, all of these things, it's about juggling the best practice with the practical kind of 
actually what it what can you do what, how is that horse going to be happiest as it transitions to its new home and it's always a balance you know we understand that so if that horse is there and um, you don't know it's parasite burden then you'd be sure to, to want to poop pick that area where that horse is so that anything that um, the horse lays isn't going to go into the land um, and you know some of the quarantine kind of regulations are obviously not just for parasites but also for other illnesses and viruses that potentially might be carried in on that horse so yeah there's there's you know lots of different things at play there so i guess that the the first tip then is always poop pick the field yeah which again you know it's it's quite scary claire because i'm not allowed to poop pick my field the farmer says that it, it helps it's good for the land and so if every few months we have to harrow it um, but now I'm going to be screaming on the phone to him saying, no, 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 I need to poop it. You're going, you're going to give my horse worms. <laughs> harrowing is another way that you can manage that. So harrowing is best done when it's really dry and very bright because that helps to desiccate the dung and um, kill any worms that might be there as the, the dung is opened up. And it helps then for that to be sort of taken and you know, the dung then disappears into the soil by the microorganisms that are in, in there. So it is a way of managing it. It's not as good as poo picking, but, you know, again, we've got to be practical about this. And, you know, where my horse lives, again, they harrow, they don't poo pick. But I think as long as you are taking all the steps you can to be able to manage the horse's parasite burden effectively and you're testing, and I think crucially, it's the testing. So if you test and you know, so you have that scientific hard evidence that you don't have a parasite burden, then I think you can really chill out about it. And so you obviously need to keep an eye on it, but it's not something to make yourself paranoid over. Um, (laughs) You know me well then, because I get paranoid (laughs) over everything. Because I thought, you know, when I, I found out about what you do and I found out about worm counting, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm surely by harrowing just spreading the worms across the field and so they're bound to get them there is an argument that says that if you harrow in the wrong conditions basically what you're doing is you're taking the potential worms from the you know because generally horses lay in particular rough areas of grassland and the harrowing helps to spread that through the whole field and across the lawns but again it depends if there's a parasite bird in there at all to spread. So if the parasite burden is, is fairly low in the field or it's being managed, then, you know, that's okay. So, um, you know, and I think as horse owners, it's very easy. We're all paranoid. We all want the best for our horses and them to be as healthy and well as possible. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's about what we can do towards that. But we none of us live in perfect situations. No, so. that's true. So we have to do the best of what we what we can do, really. Um, so, so going on to this worm count, then, uh, how does it work? There are two regular tests that we advise that horses get. The first one would be a worm egg count. So that's where we take a small sample of the horse's feces, and that gets sent away to us in the lab and goes through a particular process where we float the eggs from the sample in a measured amount of solution and then look at that under the microscope to determine um, what we're looking for is the eggs that the worms lay inside the horse and it gets passed into the droppings and from that so we look at we use what we call um, a modified McMaster technique for that and we have a gridded slide and so we count the worm eggs within the grids 
through the microscope and from that we can then get a statistical analysis of the number of worm eggs in that sample and therefore an idea of the burden of worms for red worm and round worm that that horse is carrying. And from that, we can advise at whether the horse might need treatment or not. So that's a, that's a, a basic worm egg count. Now, a worm egg count has, I guess it's about using them within a horse's programme to the best of our knowledge. So knowing the limitations and the benefits that mm. that has. So, um, so a worm egg count will show the adult stages, so the ones that are egg laying of the red worm and the round worm that the horse has. Um, we know from what we said earlier that the life cycles are very quick. And so what we're looking for is to build up a picture in the horse by worm egg counting regularly for those worms. And therefore, hopefully we can spot how that result comes back and then and manage that in the right way. So um, what you'll get is um, a result that looks at eggs per gram, it's called. And so above 200 eggs per gram, um, we'd say the horse has got sufficient burden that it needs to have a wormer. Mm. Underneath that, um, we would say that it's a very low burden. The horse is managing it with its own immune system and it wouldn't need to be wormed. So um, we can't statistically say that a horse hasn't got worms. You'll see a less than 50 eggs per gram is the lowest we can report. Um, but over 200, that's when we'd want to start to look at what chemical do we need to put into the horse's program to manage that? So all this worming then, because my my basic brain would say, well, surely if you just keep worming, then you're always going to keep the egg count down automatically because you're putting the wormer into the horse's body. You might say that, but it's actually not the case. It's not what we find. So there are horses that can follow a regular chemical program and still when we test them have um, worms apparent in their tests. So, and it's because, just like antibiotics, the wormers are adapting to the chemicals that we've got and becoming resistant to them. Oh. And the more you give a chemical, the more opportunities those worms have got to work on building that resistance. It breeds those populations of resistant worms, and then suddenly you end up with worms that don't respond the drugs that we've got so that's why we want to use the wormers only when we when we can see we've got a problem when you need them um, exactly that i yeah. mean there is a there is a risk with that i mean i've heard again previously that um you should only have a, your horse on a particular wormer or a particular worming program for a couple of years and then you should swap to another program um but ultimately what you're saying is we shouldn't be putting any chemicals in our horses' bodies until we actually know what the problem is, because that's like us taking an antibiotic every three months, um, and and then eventually we're going to become immune to it because you don't your body doesn't actually need it. Exactly that. So you wouldn't take a paracetamol and think, oh, I might get a headache, so I'll just have one of these. You know, <laughs> yeah. and it's the same thing. So we're really looking at evidence-based testing and mm. treating. So we're looking at. Um, doing a worm egg count for the, through the spring, summer and autumn. So every three months, so that we help to get a regular picture of what's going on inside the horse and manage that effectively. And then in the winter, we'd give one wormer for possible insisted red worm. And um, that's the ones that 
as we said, they burrow into the horse's gut wall because they're immature, they're not egg laying, and also they're burrowed away in the intestinal walls, they're not laying eggs. So we can't count them with a worm egg count. And so as a potential, um, we give a treatment for that against the potential of their mass emerging in spring. And, and so what worm should we be giving that for the insisted red worm? It's a, that's a really good question. There are only two wormers on the market that will are licensed to treat for the insisted red worm. And that's a quest, um, which is a moxidectin, that's the active chemical in it, um, and a five-day panicure equine guard, um, which also is licensed, although it should also be noted that there is known resistance to that drug against small red worms. So you should only use it if you know it's effective in your area. So you can resistance test, so you can, if you know you have worms in the horse, you can then give the drug and two weeks afterwards do another worm egg count. And what we should see is that the worm egg count results reduce um, by 95% or more. That's the measure of effectiveness of a drug for license. If that doesn't happen, so say if we had a worm count came back at a thousand eggs per gram, for example, mm. and knew that the horse had red worm present, and then we gave the treatment, we'd want to see that reduce to less than 50 eggs per gram as a result to know that that had been effective. If we were still seeing counts of around the sort of 200, 400 eggs per gram mark, we would know then that there were some resistant worms present in that horse and that that treatment hadn't got all of those critters that were there. So um, that's really what we're, we're looking at when we talk about resistance and about the impact that that has um, on our parasite burdens and our horses and our horses health, because that's essentially, you know, worms can kill, they're, you know, they're dangerous if they get out of hand. So. Gosh, it's, the, the scary. it is really scary. The five day yeah. panicure. Um, is it, is it true that that could actually have an adverse effects on your horse and that some horses really struggle and 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 don't really like taking that not not, not in that not in that they don't like having it in their food or, or eating it but they actually react quite badly to it not in our experience i mean wormers are very safe chemicals they've all been tested and licensed and gone through rigorous trials to prove both their efficiency for what they're designed to do, but also their impact on health of horse. So, and fembendazole, which is the active ingredient of the Panacure 5-Day, has been around since the sort of late 60s, early 70s, and been used on a lot of horses. And and I guess, um, statistically, there would be way more horses that would have been negatively impacted by worm burdens than have ever mm. been essentially all wormers are drugs and every drug has a risk and a side effect but actually in terms of the flip side of what could happen if we didn't use them it would be way worse um, and particularly fembendazole is you know I would see it as a very safe drug and certainly if you're looking at treatment and you're looking because hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One of the things we have to be very careful of when we treat is to give enough wormer for the weight of the horse. Because mm. otherwise, if you underdose, it doesn't give the worms enough to kill them. They just get a bit of a headache and live to fight another day and it helps them build that resistance. So what we would always advise is that to err on the side of caution and give slightly more than you may need to. So it, particularly if you're weight taping. So if you had a horse that on a weight tape was, um, I don't know, 400 kilograms, for example, always err on the side of caution and and give a little bit extra just to um, for that calculation of that that weight tape, um, just to make sure that you kill those worms and get them effectively. Well, that's and a, with that's a relief. That's a relief because I, I have I've seen you know horses that really don't like being wormed. And they'll throw their heads in the, air, in the air and they'll dance about and they'll do anything to not get the worm in their mouth. And when I first started worming Blackjack, he was pretty much the same. He didn't like the taste of it. And I have to kind of, I have to put, give him an apple afterwards and kind of persuade him to have the wormer. But in the early days, my worry was if I don't get all the wormer in him, that means that it's not going to kill the worms. But I've put a bit in his mouth. So if he's had a little bit, but not all of it, do I then go and buy another wormer to give him the rest? Or I didn't want to overworm him and, and cause him stomach damage. Yeah, so um, definitely make sure that he gets the full dose. And if some of that or most of it ends up on the floor and you think you might be compromised on that, then absolutely you'd want to make sure that as soon as possible afterwards he'd got a full dose. I mean, when we talk about fenbendazole, we can um, give safely. You can overdose or the horse could have. We wouldn't recommend it, but up to 40 times the actual recommended dose rate before it would have a negative effect on the horse's health. It's much less for moxidectin, which is a very strong wormer. And there, you know, you wouldn't want to give, if you gave three times the recommended dose, you'd start to see problems mm. with it, with the horse's health. So you have to be careful about dosing. You know, they are strong drugs, but similarly, they are also safe. So it's well, a balance. That's a relief. Really. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want him to get hurt because of me, you know. <laughs> One thing's having worms, but not because I'm a bit stupid. We looked at our worm egg counts, but there is another test that we can do regularly as well. So we looked at how we could um, treat those red worm and the round worm potentially, but also there is a saliva test for tapeworm, oh. um, which is a fairly new test. It's been around sort of two or three years now and has been developed um, by a laboratory called Austin Davis Biologics. 
and it goes to the other end of the horse for testing that. It's a saliva swab that you put in the horse's mouth. And what that's testing for is the um, antibodies that the horse produces to tapeworm in the saliva that can be measured. And therefore, you can then get um, a result of whether you need to test, oh, sorry, to treat the tapeworm. And very, very interestingly, we're finding that um, only about 23% of horses actually need a treatment for tapeworm. Oh, really? So, and they've tested over 20,000 horses for that now. So um, it's a really good test because it means that it's accessible. We had a blood test before and you can get your vet to take blood and to run that test for you. But, you know, it's a call out and it's, mm. it's fairly expensive. And the saliva test, again, makes that much more accessible to the horse owners. So um, but that's the way that you can target those three, like we said, the, the most pathological worms for horses. There are other tests as well that you might do if the conditions or the symptoms that the horse was showing might show you you needed to look into that, but that would be the basics of a regular um, testing plan. So ultimately then we just need, we need the three tests, but we could actually split that into two. So we could send the manure off to you and say, yeah. hey, Gay Claire, please can you test for the red worm and the incited red worm? Um, and the roundworm. There isn't yet a test for incited red worm, which is why we need to give that one dose a year proactively. Yeah. That, that's, I guess, is kind of being proactive, which is good because you're doing the counts. But what if you're worried about the horse? What sort of symptoms and signs should you be looking out for if you think, oh, gosh, they might have worms? The reason I ask that is because my horse was wormed and I can only go by personal experience. Um, my horse was wormed for a year and he had the same worming program. And then one day, we're in a field of four other horses, and one day I saw little red worms in the manure, and I nearly died. I mean, honestly, I panicked, freaked out, took loads of photos of it, phoned the vet, <laughs> said, I'm on your programme, why are there worms in the field? All the other horses are on the same programme, and they'd all been in the same field for the year. But Blackjack was showing no signs of illness. His coat looked beautiful. He hadn't lost weight. None of the other horses had lost weight. Um, so what the vet suggested was that we all reworm our horses and clear up the manure. But I couldn't understand. To me, it didn't make any sense why where these worms suddenly had come from. I think that is the thing with worms is that you, they can come in in different ways and um, sometimes you don't even know where from. And that's why the beauty of a regular testing programme helps you to monitor that and keep on touch with it. Mm. So um, obviously you've been on a, a regular chemical program, but without testing, you might know, for example, whether those chemical, um, chemical doses that you'd used had been effective, but also then um, to know, well, had another horse come in? Had you been to a competition? Had you been somewhere where that horse might have potentially picked up um, parasites from a different place to bring those back in. Um, what we don't realise is that lots of people um, who have horses are not that savvy about worming and when we go to places with our horses like training and competition venues that's a hotbed for parasites because so many different horses come through there and they could be carrying all sorts and if you let your horse graze they can easily pick up those 
worms from that pasture and bring those back home with them. So that's really something to be aware of and potentially give a hay net instead of letting a horse graze somewhere yeah. where it's... I'd never, I'd never thought of that because you think you're doing the right thing. But ultimately, you're doing everything properly. It doesn't mean to say everybody else is. So um, we're going to have yeah. a lot of horses that are not allowed to graze <laughs> out in a competition anymore. Well, I mean, the business has been running for 17 years now and my parents set it up and it was developed from um, us having horses ourselves at home. And so my dad, who's a scientist, um, he would test our horses for us, but um, we had our parasite um, under control and so he was getting a bit disappointed that he could never find anything in any of the dung that he was testing. So when we went out to competitions, he went round um, the collecting ring and collected sort of different samples that he brought back home to test. And some of the horses there had astronomical counts. And, and of course, then you didn't know who they were from to actually go back and warn the owners that that's what their horses were carrying around and then mm. often you won't see any symptoms it, you know it's the invisible killer really the parasites so that they can a horse can have a fairly high parasite burden and just be sort of slightly off par so um or even look the picture of health but that's their waiting and developing until all of a sudden then you have a colic or you have a colitis or something um, within that horse that actually is going to trigger a life-threatening condition and suddenly you're in deep water my gosh what what it's like a hidden it's like a little hidden killer isn't it absolutely yeah and you'd expect it for example if you've got a rescue horse something that had a very poor start in life they often look very undernourished unwell they're skinny they're not you know they're not thriving they've got no muscle but conversely, you can see a horse that is the picture of health and it can still be harbouring a potential, you know, a high count and something that could, given the right conditions, cause a very big problem to that horse. So, so what if your horse has lost weight um, and is, is working fine, eating all his food fine, eating the grass fine, but just seems to be dramatically losing a lot of weight? Would that, could that be a sign of worms? It could. I mean, it could be a sign of a lot of different things. We would definitely recommend in those circumstances that you'd want to do some testing to see what was going on and just make sure that the horse wasn't carrying any potential parasite burden that was going to impact it. But I think if you're seeing that sort of starker symptom, it's also something to get your vet involved with at the same time to look at bloods and other things and mm. um, for them to give a general health check. Okay, thank you. So we've got then three work. Oh no, one more question. Um, we we talked earlier. I know it's it's like oh my head's gone crazy. We talked earlier about livery yards and um, and how to deal with you know the worming in the livery yards because some livery yards you know they have over ten horses coming in and out all the time. You've got obviously the competitions. We're limited to what we can deal with with that. But if they have a new horse coming in, what would be a what would you suggest, what would you recommend the kind of policy that they should stick to? Definitely when you've got large numbers of horses, it's really important that somebody takes charge. And most often that's the yard owner who has the care of all those horses in their control. And there is absolutely no reason. In fact, there's lots of good reasons why large numbers of horses kept together should be managed on a parasite, on a 
a regular targeted worming program for their parasites. So what we'd be looking at is um, for them to worm egg count those horses, spring, summer and autumn, give their proactive treatment in the winter for insisted redworm and do the saliva tests for tapeworm every six months. So that's the basic program that we'd be looking for them to follow. And then all the other best practice that we've talked about. So sort of not overgrazing, keeping little closed herds of horses, quarantining new horses coming in, poo picking where you can, resting where you can, that side of things. Mm. Um, and then when the horses need treatment for them to be treated together and to you know for them to make sure that the horses get the drugs they need and targeting only the wormy horses because what we'll generally find in a large group of horses is that 80% of the worms are in 20% of the horses so and those same horses will be susceptible to the worms and when we come to worm I count them they will generally be the ones that return a count time over and there'll be other horses that never seem to get a rise in their worm accounts so it's it's really interesting and it's it's the same with sheep and cattle and all sorts but it's about then using those regular testing to get to know the horses in your care and then targeting that treatment where you most need it so if you have one horse say you've got five horses in a field one horse has worms you're you're saying you don't need to go out and worm all the horses together you can get them all worm tested but you just treat the one horse should you pick up the manure should you if you can yes so you should pick where you can lots of the worming advice sheets the data sheets advise that you actually um, try and keep horses in after worming and you'll see sort of 48 72 hours after worming is the recommended advice obviously that's not always possible but you should poo pick on that those situations where you can and the reason that they advise that is twofold um really so that the uh, metabolites that are in the wormer so that that worming chemical can get onto the pasture and that can actually kill dung beetles and the microfauna get into water courses it's poisonous for those and actually things like dung beetles can play a really important part in looking after our pasture. So you need to be careful about that. Um, and also, um, worm is poisonous to dogs as well. So that's something else to be aware oh of. And so particularly collies and ivermectin aren't good. So if you've got a lot of dogs around, or potentially, um, then be very careful. You know, horse, dogs will pick up horse poo. Oh, they eat it all the um, time. Yeah, so just it's something to be aware of if, you've given a horse ivermectin um that collies particularly shouldn't have that so um yeah just to bear in mind so that's that's the recommendation um is that the horses should be kept in but when but you possible. can't do that you know for some some people can't do that because their horse is living out so um well yeah my horse lives out lots of people i know their horses live out all the time and so then you've got the situation where you're harrowing the field so the field's not clear anyway until it's been harrowed and then you've got to worm but you can't keep the horse in it's 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 really really hard maybe we could section off part of the field so after they've been wormed, they could go in there for a couple of days. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, and I think the other thing to be aware of, once you have wormed, is that it traditionally was the thing to, you give a wormer and then you move all the horses straight onto fresh pasture, um, which 
again, is something that now the experts are recommending against doing because what that does is breeds for resistant populations of the worms. So we talked about how you can give a wormer, we want that to be 95% or more effective, which means that there'll always be just a couple in that population that don't get killed. So those are the ones then that are have free range in the horse's gut to breed and multiply and kick out more and more, breed more and more resistant worms in that horse and onto that pasture. But basically it's wanting to get a mixed population of resistant and non-resistant worms. And it sounds counterproductive to worm your horse, get rid of the parasites that are in it, and then put it back on a on the wormy pasture to pick up some more worms that are, yeah, but that is the advice. And, and it's to do with then getting a mixed population and having worms within the horse that can then be successfully targeted by the medication, the wormers that we'd be giving them. And so that um, you're not then breeding a purely resistant worm population. And then the horse's immune system will manage that generally within the system and within a healthy horse. Oh, that's good. They're helping us out a bit then, aren't they, naturally? Yes, no, there's definitely <laughs> some immune response there too. So, so if you are a livery yard owner, um, you're not, and you, you might have 20 or 30 horses on your yard. You can't afford to pay for everybody to have a worm count. So it tends to be the livery, the livery's responsibility to pay for their horse wormer. The, the yard owners say, right, this, now it's time for your equest. Um, go out and get it. It's got to be done by this date. So let's say we would like to move on. We're a livery yard with 20 horses that would like to move on to worm counting. And that's going to be our new program, the program that you set. We really need to, we've got to persuade our liveries that this is the right way to go. And they're going to be worried. They're going to be worried that their horse isn't going to be wormed. And I know that, that you know this works and I know this works and this is the future. But we're equestrians and we're stuck in our ways. So how can we say to them this is the new way that our livery yard is going to work from now on so by this date you all need to send in your tests this is what it costs and then we work out how to deal with that when you get your tests back how do you do that yeah change is really hard (laughs) you know we get that particularly at westgate we help a lot of yard owners to move their clients onto test-based programs so i mean we have yards with 90 or more horses successfully running these programs and it's all about the best of their horses the best of their horses health and about sustainably managing worming for horses and so it's about looking at um at why we need to move to the test-based worm programs, which is for their horse's health. It's for knowing what's going on inside their horses, for us having a future where we still have wormers that work effectively. So if we want to be keeping horses long into the future, there aren't any more drugs coming on board. So we really need to be moving to this way of doing things so that we've got those drugs available to us. Because the scary situation, um, particularly in sheep, is that in Australia and now in certain parts of Wales as well, is there is land they can't keep sheep on because there aren't any drugs to treat those parasites that are in the ground that are then so badly affecting those animals that the the sheep die and it's not profitable to farm 
and so people have left lost their livelihoods and you know where farms have been in generations they can't be sheep farmers anymore and that's a mm. horrible scary prospect and we are very close to facing similar with our horses if we're not careful now about our use of chemicals so that's why it's so serious imagine having a horse which had a worm burden was getting sick from it and we had no drugs available to give that horse or yeah that would be awful but also imagine if you keep using this if you keep using the same wormers and then your horse becomes resistant to it then what are you going to do you've nowhere to go unfortunately um yeah which is awful well, thank you very much for your time, Claire. I, I really do appreciate it. I need to get Blackjack tested now. <laughs> I'm going to go to the field tonight. Um, so can you can you give us an idea of, of how much this costs? It's a very cost-effective process. So if you've got a single horse, um, just it's £9.50 to do a single worm egg count on that horse. Oh, that's but, okay. I thought so, it might be more like blood tests. No, no, it, it's actually really cost effective and that includes everything that you need to take and send a sample to the lab including all postage paid so you know how hard it is for us to get to the post office none of that just you get a little glove a little pot take little pinches from the poo pack it in the pot pop it in the envelope wing it off to us we test it on that same day and then you get your results back the day we get it and you can have them by email or text or um, however is easiest for you we can then have we have SQPs which are people who are um, trained to give worming advice you can give them any follow-up if you need it as well this is somebody that would be in a retailer um, and that they're trained and, and also they've got a license to be able to sell you wormers exactly so there are certain medications like wormers which are safe enough for people like SQ or people who are qualified as SQPs to deliver so, yeah, that's what, what this qualification stands for. Oh, well, that's good. So we send it off to you then. You send it back within a few days, pretty much the same prices as getting a wormer anyway. And ideally, the hope is that our egg count is so low that we don't need a wormer. Exactly. So it's just changing that mindset a little bit, I guess. Definitely. If your program is working, more or less likely you, you won't actually need to give a wormer. And if it comes back with a count and you need to treat you do at least know that that's being managed and taken care of so there is no downside to knowing what's going on inside your horse for sure a lot of us keep our horses in fields with other people and you can't tell whose manure is separate from one horse to another so that makes it quite difficult to make sure that you're picking up the right stuff it does yeah and certainly to, at the beginning you want to know that you've tested every horse and that then you've got a picture of what's going on because you want to know which are the ones that are most susceptible which of them aren't so take them out it's, you know some people put them in the lorry they put them in the stable they you know take them anywhere that the horse is more likely to then um, deliver for them and then they can pick that up and pop it in the post to us so yeah that is a <laughs> skill of its own i think um, a lot of yards will do it, then, you know, they'll have the horses in for a night and then they'll just go around the stables in the morning, pick them up and pop them in the post to it. As an owner, I feel so much better knowing that I'm not putting chemicals in my horse that doesn't need them. Because I don't like taking antibiotics, I don't like taking pills unless I need it. So um, to know that he's really natural um, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing any damage to him, that's the main thing, is that he's okay. 
absolutely happy healthy horses is what we want so love it so Claire how can we follow you on Twitter because you quite often put out advice don't you so yeah so you can follow us at Westgate Labs on Twitter and we put lots of information there and we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well so and what's your website address it's westgatelabs.co.uk we answer loads of questions on social networks as, as well as email and phone so get in touch if you've got any worming questions and we'd be really happy to help anyone well we did a Q&A with you didn't we on horse hour um well, gosh at the beginning of the year and um, now is the time to do I'm presuming we're coming into spring so now's the time to do your worm count definitely spring yeah pick up your worm counts for the season ahead yeah thanks so much for joining us been lovely thanks Amy Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like more information on worm counts, how to do your egg worm counts and on the different types of worms as well, there's pictures. Just head to horsehour.co.uk. Claire at Westgate has kindly put together a really easy picture demonstration. You have small and large red worm, round worm, tape worm, insisted small red worm, and even some extra ones like pinworm and bots as well. And the image clearly shows when you should be doing your worm count when you should be treating them and what you should be treating them with so that's all under the worming section of horsehour.co.uk i'll also email this to you if you've had a chance to pop in your email address on our website then uh, after each podcast i send you some information from that guest and this week it will include all about worming while you're on the website you can listen to previous episodes of the horse hour podcast including the mounted police i caught up with the lovely sergeant craig richards a couple of weeks ago you can hear his episode and our future episodes coming up are Lucienne Elms from Horse Scout, Jock, who runs this one so lovely. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Jock, who set up Horseback UK. It's a great charity that uses horses to help servicemen and women. They might have come back from Afghanistan or Iraq. They've suffered some form of stress and they might have depression. They may have even lost a limb. Jock and his team do fabulous work. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send them a massive congratulations because last night they won the soldering on awards and it's well deserved because they've been working tirelessly for years trying to help injured servicemen and women just get their lives back so if you do have a chance just check out their website horseback.org and they're on twitter and facebook and instagram too at horseback uk i hope you have a really good week with your horse and i'll speak to you soon you've been listening to horse hour Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.